Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. In the United States, Shalom, which in Hebrew means peace. My name is Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God, Biblical Instructional Program. Oh, it's really cold here in Ohio. <laughs> Uh, and it's going to be really cold uh, the next couple of days here. And uh, I'm asking that uh, you pray that uh, not just in the Columbus, Ohio area, but um, nationwide uh, where people are suffering, uh, that you um, ask the great almighty God to be merciful and allow it to be bearable. Um, it's going to be like, I think, 7 degrees or didn't on Monday here where I live at, and then 4 degrees the following day, Monday and Tuesday. So just be praying that uh, that we don't have to go through um, a lot of hardship in that area. All right, so this today's program is going to be about the Philadelphia Assembly uh, Church in the Greek is ecclesia, and it, and it means an assembly, and that word was used in the Septuagint, which was a uh, actually the first translation of the Bible into another language. It was uh, translated into Greek. It was done around 250 B.C. by 70 uh, Jewish scholars, and it's a very good uh, reference tool to go to. But anyway, the word ecclesia uh, is is uh, also translated in the Septuagint, or the Septuagint. Some people pronounce it that way. Um, and it means congregation assembly. So anyway, uh, we're going to talk about that today. Uh, we're going to get into specifically what is the synagogue of Satan. Many people have their little, you know, have their <laughs> little, <laughs> have their ideas about what it is, but uh, we have to just stick to what the Bible says. Uh, that that That's basically what I do. That's what I, not basically, but that's what I aim to do all the time is go by what the Bible says, what the synagogue of Satan is uh, in the context of the churches or the assemblies. Philadelphia means brotherly love, which is pretty interesting. And so um, I'm going to get into all that. First of all, I want to check and see what's going on in the world right now. I know right now I'm freezing. <laughs> but let's see. Let's go to watch.org. I'm doing that right now as I'm speaking. Let's see what's going on uh, in the Holy Land and Jerusalem. If uh, 
my browser pops up here properly. <laughs> no, it's not. So I'm not going to be able to check that out today. Uh, looks like uh, the cold weather is causing issues with uh, my internet connection. But uh, um, domestically, um, we know that um, the unemployment benefits have run out. I don't know if they've renewed them. To be praying that they're able to renew the unemployment benefits for the people who do use the uh, benefits properly. Um, not everybody who uses government aid is, is trying to to uh, get something for nothing. Um, they, they actually do need help, and so uh, that's a part of uh, pure worship. Uh, James one verse twenty seven it, it clearly states uh, that uh, pure worship or religion before God is to help the widows, the fatherless, and in other words, people who are afflicted and are in need, and, of course, to keep yourself unspotted from the world. That's in James 1, verse 27. So, let's go into this Bible study then. I, I looks like I'm going to have a little more time than I normally do have uh, to, to go over this because of computer issues. But anyway, uh, Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. So, we're going over the churches, and you'll notice that Philadelphia, he didn't have a rebuke for Philadelphia at all, the Philadelphia Assembly. So, the Philadelphia Assembly are characteristic of uh, the true people of God, the, the believers, um, is a characteristic that we need to copy. And then also, the Smyrna, the Smyrna era, there was not a, a rebuke at all there, if we're going to go and let me go over there and uh, read that scripture again it's about about Smyrna and this is what he says about Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 verse 8 he says unto the angel of the church in Smyrna right these things says the first and the last which was dead and is alive so he's talking about himself again he was dead and he's alive Okay, and uh, where did I go here? Okay, verse 9, Revelation chapter 2, I know thy works. So he talks about works. <laughs> and what is uh, Christianity, traditional Christianity state? Oh, there's no more works. You don't have to do anything. You're saved already. Go out and play and do whatever you want. You know, that, that's, that's what they teach, basically, most of them. I know thy works, but he, he started out here. And this is one of the the uh, assemblies that don't have a rebuke. He starts commending them for their works. I know thy works. And what does works mean in the Greek? It means ergon in the Greek, and it means performance, the result or object of employment, making or working, labor, business, employment, something to be done. Something to be done. Now, what I want you to do is hold your place here, Revelation 2, verse 9. Let's go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. I want you to realize something. The reason, One of the reasons why Yeshua, or Jesus, uh, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, died on the cross for us. Because many people don't realize this. Now, Hebrews 9, verse 12, it says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place. It's talking about the heavenly holy place. There are two temples, or should be two temples <laughs> right now. Uh, the temple on the earth 
which will be rebuilt soon according to the Bible prophecy, it, it represents the temple in heaven. There's a temple in heaven, and there's two sections, main sections. Inside the temple, you have a holy place, which the priests go to do their priestly duties, and then you have the holiest of holies, which the high priest goes in once every year during Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, which is um, highlighted in Leviticus chapter 16. Once every year. And the book of Hebrews uh, is really focusing on Yom Kippur when it talks about going into the holy place. All right, and let's read this again. Hebrews 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, or eternal life. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify up to the purifying of the flesh. So the book of Hebrews is a great book because it, it, can, it, it goes over it helps you to understand in a simpler way the purpose of the sacrifices. In this one verse, it tells you the sacrifices were primarily to purify the flesh. And also in this book, it tells you the sacrifices were also a catalyst to provoke the people in a righteous way to give consistently to God and to other people. Verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 9. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Yes, he was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. That picture is Yom Kippur, ladies and gentlemen, or the Day of Atonement. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And what does traditional Christianity teach is that Oh, there's no works. Oh, um, you, you can't earn salvation by work. Of course not. This In verse 12, it tells you who earned salvation for you. Again, what does it say? Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So salvation was already obtained for us by the Messiah's blood. So, of course, we don't earn salvation by works. However, don't assume incorrectly that the Messiah died so that we don't do nothing. All right? Hebrews 9 verse 14 proves that he didn't do that for us just to, to do nothing. And this is one of the foundational, the first foundational doctrine of Yeshua or God the Father because Yeshua said he came and, and he spoke the Father's words. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience or mine from dead works to serve the living God? So he died also to obtain eternal salvation for us. And this is when also comes in. <laughs> and also to catalyst to give us the ability to do not dead works, but Alive works to serve the living God so that we can serve him. Galatians 2, verse 20 tells us the following. Galatians 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. It tells us, I am crucified with the Messiah, or Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, 
but Christ lives in me. Uh, Christ is he's, he's synonymous with the Holy Spirit. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The Messiah and the Holy Spirit are the same. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man not have the Spirit of Christ, so the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are synonymous. The same in this scripture. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Verse 10. And if Christ be in you, Christ being in you is the Holy Spirit in you, folks, according to the scriptures. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life because of righteousness. In verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, that same spirit, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. And this scripture proves that we have mortal bodies. We don't have immortal bodies. By his spirit that dwells in you. Okay? So let's understand that. Ladies and gentlemen, that, that is basic, basic understanding that you should have about the Holy Spirit about and what it can do for you, and that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Messiah. That's what it is. And let's understand, and this is going to help us understand what the synagogue of the devil is and so forth as we go through that. Each and every one of us that do have the Holy Spirit in us, which is the Spirit of Messiah. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, For who have known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So when you have the Holy Spirit, you, you, you think like a Jew, <laughs> and you act like a Jew, because the Messiah is a Jew. And what does Hebrews chapter 13 state? Hebrews chapter 13 Verse 8, you're not a Jew, but you think like a Jew and act like a Jew because you have the mind of a Jew, the Messiah. Hebrews 13, verse 8, Yeshua Messiah is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he's dwelling in you, if that spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, the spirit of Messiah, then you're going to be thinking like a Jew. You're going to be attracted to Jews. You're going to want to do what Jews do. That's only natural if you have the mind of a Jew. So let's understand it. I don't, I don't hear that preached that often. I think there's really deep spiritual knowledge. And you have to be close to God to, to really understand that. But that's basic. I've showed you scriptures to prove to you that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Messiah. Because after all, Messiah is the Word of God. He's God. Okay. So, and, and I showed you that that Spirit lives in you. Galatians 2 verse 20. And I showed you Romans 8, verse 9 to 11, that proves that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Messiah. And I also showed you 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is all in your Bible, in any English translation. Uh, verse 16, you don't have to know Hebrew to understand this. 
Hebrews, uh, not Hebrews, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. For who have known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Now, what does this say in the Amplified Version? Because the Amplified is a very good translation of the Bible. And and, and uh, it, it brings out the Greek meaning here. What it says here, it says, For who has known or understood the mind, the counsel and purpose of the Lord, as to guide and instruct him and give him knowledge? But we have the mind of Christ, the Messiah. We have the mind of Christ, the Messiah. And do hold the thoughts, feelings, and purpose of his mind. That is a very, very important scripture to understand and realize he has a Jewish mind. He is still a Jew because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, ladies and gentlemen. So let's understand that about our great Lord and Savior. So let's go back to Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Read this in the King James, Revelation chapter 2. And so he talks about works. I hope you understand works, ladies and gentlemen. And, and in the book of James, uh, to put the, the final cap on it here, let's, let's turn to the book of James, the Lord's brother. James chapter 2 states plainly. It was his brother on the earth. James 2, verse 26, he states in verse 20, James 2, verse 20, read this to King James, But without know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Verse 22, See thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect, and faith Hebraically or in a Jewish way, means trust. Verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham, which is Hebrew for Abraham, believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, for he was called the friend of God. And why was he called the friend of God? Because he did something. He didn't sit around and do nothing. Let's read this in the Amplified Version. It says, And so the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed, adhered to, trusted in, and relied on, that's the Hebraic way of understanding it, God, and this was accounted to him as righteousness, as conformity to God's will and thought and deed. That's what righteousness is. You, you conform to God's will in each and every one of us because he plays no favorites. We'll be called God's friend if we do what Abraham did. Verse 24, I'm reading this uh, in the Amplified Version of the Bible. You see that a man is justified, pronounced righteous before God through what he does and not alone through faith. This can't be just, I believe, I believe. You, you have to do something else through works of obedience as well as by what he believes. All right? This is excellent translation in the Amplified Version. The Amplified Version amplifies the King James. The King James, don't get me wrong, it's the best English translation, but the Amplified, what it does is amplify or gives you uh, additional Hebraic and Greek meaning to the King James Version. I would highly recommend, especially for beginners and scholars as well, to get the King James Version along with the Amplified. Those two uh, versions together uh, is certainly a substitute for you not knowing uh, Hebrew or Greek. And then also, I don't know if they have an Amplified Version um, that's key with Strong's Concordance. They may. Uh, but if you can find it, that would be great. But I know the King James Version is linked with Strong's Concordance. 
and then use also the complete word study Bible and dictionary. I'm going to be completing my document very soon, I'm hoping, on the basic doctrines of Almighty God. It's going to be an e-book that I'm going to offer for free over the Internet. And I'm going to include um, actually the first chapter of this um, booklet is why do we have so many different uh, interpretations. And in there I, I give you what I do as far as understanding or, or how I study the Bible how God has led me to to do what I'm doing today and, and how I have the tools. I'm going to reveal the tools that I use uh, for this program and, and, and for preaching and, and for effective Bible study and, and writing um, biblical articles, all the resource tools that I use. But anyway, verse 24 of James chapter 2. You see that a man is justified, pronounced righteous before God through what he does and not alone through faith through works of obedience as well as by what he believes. Verse 25, So also with Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot, was she not shown to be justified, pronounced righteous before God by good deeds when she took in the scout spies and sent them away by a different route? Verse 26, For as the human body apart from the spirit is lifeless, so faith apart from its works of obedience is also dead. So let's let's understand that, ladies and gentlemen. That is a false doctrine to state. There's nothing that you do. There's nothing that you do, uh, but just believe. Uh, that that is one of the <laughs> the devil really really did a, a number on us uh, in terms of that. Uh, that 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 is totally a false doctrine. And you need to you continue to think that way. You need to repent of that. Second uh, John chapter one verse nine. Well, actually, no. Uh, verse six. And people think that they know what love is, and the Bible tells you what love is if you if you know where to turn to. Second uh, John one verse six. This is in the Amplified version. And what this love consists of is this. Well, actually, in verse five, Second uh, John one verse five. And now I beg you, ladies. Not as if I were issuing a new charge, injunction, or command, but simply recalling to your mind the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. We're getting into today the church of brotherly love, okay, a church that should learn how to love each other. And it states here, he gives you an example of how to do that, verse 6. And what this love consists in is this, that we live and walk in accordance with and guided by his commandments. His orders, ordinances, precepts, teaching, which means Torah, stated law in, in, I think, almost every case in the Old Testament. This is the commandment, as you have heard from the beginning, that you continue to walk in love, guided by it and, and following it. What is love? It's keeping the commandments. And First John, all of them, to the best of your ability, not some of them. And then pick and choose which ones you want to keep. First John 5, verse 3. Actually, let's, let's go to 1 John 5, verse 2. By this we come to know, recognize, and understand that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands, his orders, his charges, when we keep his ordinances and are mindful of his precepts and his teaching, his Torah, which is this entire Bible, folks. 1 John 5, verse 3. For the true love of God is this. I love the fact they put true love of God. <laughs> Colon. Let's continue. That we do his commandments. You have to do something, folks. 
do his commandments, keep his ordinances, and are mindful of his precepts and teaching. And despite what modern Christianity teaches today, and these orders of his are not irksome, burdensome, oppressive, or grievous. So we have to do his commands, keep his commandments, ladies and gentlemen. You're not going to get away from that. You never will if you call yourself a believer. All right, so let's, I just wanted to make that point. I wanted to make it clear. The Smyrna and Philadelphia assemblies are not rebuked. The reason why is the Smyrna era, they understand the importance, or not the era, but it wasn't era, but also characteristics, because this, again, these messages to the churches are for all the churches throughout the ages. So let's understand that. And it's very important that you review this, these messages, so that you make sure you don't fall into the common characteristics that are negative and make sure that you follow the common characteristics that are positive about the assemblies throughout the ages. All right, so back in the King James, Revelation 2, verse 8, and he says in verse 9, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. They're not rich uh, materially. He's talking about spiritually, and that should be the focus. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Hasatan. This is interesting because in the Smyrna era, in the Smyrna assembly, and also in the Philadelphia assembly, the synagogue of Satan is talked about, which is interesting. We're going to get into that soon. Verse ten: For none of these things which thou shalt, for none of these things which thou shalt suffer, behold, the devil shall cast some of you. Oh, fear none. I'm sorry. Revelation two, verse ten: Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. So, you know, we have to take up our cross. He stated that folks in the scriptures and we shouldn't be afraid to do that i noticed that the smyrna broadcast that i did was really low i don't know it's because people are afraid to realize that a part of this walk is suffering or it's because of christmas uh, I, I don't know but anyway uh behold the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and you shall have tribulation ten days be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. I'm not going to go into what that having tribulation ten days, it means what it says. So, um, But in verse 11, it says, He that have ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the assemblies. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. And so the, the Smyrna era, he does not have a rebuke at all. And he talks about their tremendous works and, and uh, the fact that... Um, those that are calling themselves Jews and are not of the synagogue of Satan and, and that they're committing blasphemy. Now, in Revelation, let's go to the Philadelphia era, or the Philadelphia, it's the Philadelphia era, but also uh, these characteristics do exist in all uh, the history of the assembly up until now, as I speak. Because he said, hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. So, this message is uh, vital for all the assemblies in all ages of existence. All right, so Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. So we understand that that's, Philadelphia means brotherly love. We have a city of Philadelphia in the United States. And the Liberty Bell, it's interesting, on the Liberty Bell, let's see if I could load up a page doesn't look like it let me see 
Um, no. Okay. The Philadelphia era is an era or an assembly that has love, ladies and gentlemen. And they understand the importance of love. And that is very vital for the existence of a successful assembly. And he states here, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that openeth and no man shuts, and shuts and no man. And now what is this talking about, no man openeth? Well, we have to go to other scriptures. Remember, the Bible interprets itself. Uh, There's no private interpretation of scriptures. So let's turn to Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah chapter 22, starting at verse 20. And it says, It shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. Verse 21 of Isaiah chapter 22. And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of Judah. So this is a type of Messiah here. Verse 22. Here's the key verse. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. So that's what that's talking about, basically, that the government will be upon his shoulder. And what does Isaiah chapter 9 state, Isaiah chapter 9 about the Messiah? Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Yes, that's what the key of David is. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, because he is the last Adam, so he is a father to mankind, the Prince of Peace. Even the Messiah has a father, God the Father, but in this context, he's a father because he is the last Adam. He is the Adam that the first Adam should have been. He is certainly the father of mankind, the Prince of Peace. In verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace shall there be no end. Upon the throne of David... And upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform him, perform this. So the key of David will be upon his shoulder. Not only the government of Israel, but the government of the entire world. All the governments will be upon his shoulder. That is the key of David according to scriptures. If you want to go by what the Bible says. All right? So that's what that's talking about. The government would be on his shoulders. All the, the government would be committed into the Messiah's hand. So let's go back to Revelation. Revelation. Chapter 3. So we understand what the key of David is. I know thy works. So he talks about works. The first thing he says in the Smyrna era and also the Philadelphia era. I know thy works. Um, I don't think in the other errors that he, he talks about that. Yeah, he does. And in the scene, he says, I know, know thy works. And let me see. Yeah, uh, I think all the errors, he, he begins with, I know thy works. Let's see. Smyrna. Yeah, 
I know that works. So in, in every case, it appears here that he begins to say, I know that works. <laughs> uh, that's, 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 that's very interesting here. Let me see. And then yet the churches teach. Um, yep, in every case, he states, I know that works. That's the first thing he says, I know that works. And then what did, what did the uh, traditional Christian churches teach today? Well, there's no works. You can't earn salvation. Well, we know you can't earn salvation, folks. That's understandable. But you still have to do something. To enter the kingdom of God, you have to do works, folks. You're not going to be able to enter without proving to God that you believe him through your works. That's how you prove to God that you believe him, by what you do, not what you say. That's the easiest way I can explain it. All right, so getting back to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. I know thy works. Revelation 3 verse 8. Revelation 3 verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. But thou hast a little strength. Okay, so open door. What I'm going to do is use my little Bible tool here. Type in open door. Open door. This is how I do Bible study, folks. And then I'm going to click this, and you know what this Bible will do? It will it will show me every case where the, the word open door, the phrase, is located. And unfortunately, it's just in one verse, this one. But what I'm going to do, too, is look at what is called the Treasury of Scriptural Knowledge. And on this Bible software I have, I'm just going to click that. And what it does is give me all the scriptural references to Revelation 3, verse 8. In other words, um, scriptures that are related to it to help me identify another scripture that would interpret this correctly. So, if I can find it here. Oh, it doesn't look like there's any scripture there that would um, help me to identify this or go into more detail with it anyway. But uh, here we go. And open. Here we go. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9 says, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. And in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel... And a door was opened to me of the Lord. And so what that door is, is talking about the people in, in, that have the Philadelphia characteristics. They have an open door to, to, uh, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what it's saying here. With Colossians 4 verse 3. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us the door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also bound. So that's the Bible interpretation of what the open door is. All right? So I know thy works, behold, I set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For you have a little strength, a little strength. That's very interesting that it says that the people with this characteristic, they have a little strength. That word strength in the Greek means dunamis, and it means force, miraculous power. <laughs> miraculous power. And so those who have brotherly love, those that really care for the brethren, those who 
uh, aren't phonies. They have a little miraculous power. That's what it's saying, ladies and gentlemen. That's what this Greek word is saying. They have a little miraculous power. Now, you know who these people are. If they're preaching the truth and they have a little miraculous power, then they certainly are Philadelphians, ladies and gentlemen. Because you could have miraculous power and preach false doctrine. And so just because somebody has miraculous power doesn't mean they're they're true believers. What makes a true believer, uh, in this context anyway, uh, if they're doing miraculous powers through God's Holy Spirit, I mean miraculous feats through God's Holy Spirit, and preaching the truth, then they are certainly a Philadelphia, Philadelphian according to the scriptures here. All right, so let's understand that. And uh, this this is um, some deep understanding here. But this is what this program is for. It's not only for beginners, but for people who are seeking a deep understanding of the scriptures as well. And so, uh, again, that word, um, little strength, uh, King James states uh, that, that it means miraculous power, might. And this, it says specific, specifically a force, specifically miraculous power, usually by implication of a miracle itself. All right, so let, let's understand that that uh, that this word is is revealing some some uh, significant truth here. And if you have this attitude, God is going to give you power. And and you know Acts five verse thirty two plainly states that He gives His Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. And so the characteristics that I'm going over Philadelphia because this is important because we we need to all be Philadelphians and and people that had to a Smyrna attitude, and, and also the other positive characteristics. All right? But the, Phil, the reason why I'm, I'm focusing on Smyrna and Philadelphia is because they weren't rebuked. All right? All right, I have, I may I may go over here explaining what the synagogue of uh, Satan is here, so I'm um, just letting you know. It's going to probably be more than 45 minutes. But anyway, it says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength a little miracle working, and has kept my word, kept his word, didn't go against it, and has not denied his name. You deny God's name, you violate the uh, third commandment, thou shalt not take the Lord's, Lord's uh, name in vain, by saying, oh, I believe God, but you don't do the deeds that represent that name. And Psalm 105, verse 1 states that. That's how you honor his name, by doing his deeds. Uh, Revelation 3, verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of the devil, or Hasatan, which say that they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, which is interesting here. I'm going to get into all that. Revelation 3, verse 10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. He's talking about the great tribulation. Of course, back in those ages, it was talking about the tribulation of their time. Because through much tribulation we will enter the kingdom of God, as Scripture states. But talking about also, for those who are living in our age, uh, it, it appears greatly that the tribulation will begin in the 21st century. I don't know when. I can't see this world existing past the 21st century. So that's why I preach that he shall come in the 21st century, based on my understanding and based on the signs that I see. 
Uh, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the entire world. That's that's a great tribulation to try them that dwell upon the earth. And 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 try means uh, in the Greek, pirazo, and it means to discipline, to correct <laughs> that dwell upon the earth. Verse eleven: Behold, I come quickly. That's why the tribulation is there to correct mankind from their wickedness. Behold, I come quickly. And this is interesting because when he says, I come quickly, that's dating basically this prophecy that this is certainly applicable toward the 21st century. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which you have that no man take that crown. So it's possible. Again, you know, I had one gentleman, uh, uh, that I met, he he, he goes around and, and tries to preach incorrectly that sal- salvation is already um, there for you and uh, once saved, always saved. Well, that's true if you're saved. But there's indications, and this is another example, where there's a possibility that no man can take that crown. Why is he warning and saying um, that make sure that no man takes your crown unless it was possible for that to happen? So let, let's understand that. Verse 12. He that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. In other words, we're going to live with the Father. We're going to live in New Jerusalem. That's what he's saying. In John chapter 14. John chapter 14. There's a lot in this uh, message to the Philadelphia characteristic of the assembly, and that's why I'm spending time on it. John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, that's the New Jerusalem, are many mansions. That word mansions in the Greek is mane, and it means in staying, residence, abode. Okay. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Place means uh, a um, location, a location, a home. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That you, where I am, and when you understand this passage of Scripture in John 13 and 14, where I am is a phrase for heaven. You may also, you may be also. Now, heaven's going to come to earth, but... Heaven is where the God the Father resides, and we will be allowed to visit him in heaven even during the millennium, ladies and gentlemen. That's another Bible study. But but the goal is not to go to heaven. The goal is to be able to have access to heaven and be able to um, be in the presence of the Father and all the holy angels in heaven and, and be able to go back and forth from heaven to earth during the millennium. We will rule on the earth. But the Bible doesn't specifically state we're going to live on the earth. <laughs> I mean, during the millennium anyway. Now, of course, when New Jerusalem comes to earth, then we will be living on the earth because heaven will be bought to earth. But what about during the millennium? Uh, there's, there's indication that we will be living in heaven but ruling on the earth. We're going to be going back and forth, the angels, from heaven to earth. We're going to rule on the earth but live in the heavens. Because that's what it, the, uh, that's where the New Jerusalem is going to be at during the millennium. But anyway, that's another Bible study. That's pretty deep, but that's another Bible study. But anyway, let's go back. And I have about uh, 12 seconds, 11 seconds. I'm going to be going off the air here. 
and I'm going to spend another 10 or 15 minutes to talk about the synagogue of Satan. Okay, I'm going to continue on to talk about the synagogue of Satan here. Uh, I didn't realize that this would go as long as it is, but uh, um, you can always listen to this program on the arcade, on, on the um, archives, I'm sorry, arcade. <laughs> Revelation 3, verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Hasatan say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thee thy feet to know that I have loved thee. Okay. Let's ask the question, does the Bible give us a definition of who a Jew is? Yes. First of all, um, a Jew is one of the tribes of Israel found in Genesis chapter 49. So I'm going to turn there here, but I'm going to type in Judah, Jews rather. Okay. And the house of Judah are the Jews, ladies and gentlemen. So let, let's understand that. And there were two kingdoms. They were split because of King Solomon's sin. You had the, the house of Israel and you had the house of Judah. The house of Judah consists of the Jews, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, in Genesis chapter 49, Genesis chapter 49, is a prophecy in the end times about Judah. Genesis 49, verse 8, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise, thy hand shall be in the neck of thy enemies, thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, thou art gone up. He stood up. He couched as a lion and as an old lion who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh come, or Shiloh, which means the Messiah. Okay, and so the Messiah is linked with Judah, and all shall come into him. So let's understand that that Judah uh, is referring to the Jews. Okay, so um, Yeshua was a Jew, and so we have to understand that. All right, so. So a Jew is from the tribe of Judah. Now, Paul does, a fa does us a favor and simplifies this about who was a Jew. Uh, Romans chapter 2. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. So in this context... Circumcision means that you are a Jew, that you went through the Jewish uh, ritual. If you're a Gentile, you went through the uh, Jewish ritual and became a Jew through circumcision. All right? uh, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outwardly in the flesh. Verse 29, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. That's where the, the, the Abrahamic uh, circumcision is certainly... Um, something you should do is, is healthy for you first of all and and uh, even in the hospitals they, they ask the parents whether or not you want the child to be circumcised so it is certainly something that should be done for, for health wise but also it represents that you are committed to keeping the commandments of, of God and so it certainly should be done but he said he is a Jew which is one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart that's what it leads to 
in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. So the definition of a Jew really is someone who, who, who keeps the commandments of God, ladies and gentlemen. Um, well, in this context, it's talking about if someone claims to be a Jew, he's not really a Jew unless he obeys the commandments. That's what I was, I was saying, basically. That's what I'm trying to um, explain to you. But I did explain to you earlier in the program that those who have the spirit of Messiah have a Jewish spirit in them, that in mind, uh, as, we, as we go over this. And there is something that uh, Jews have stated here. I'm trying to read what Gil stated about this. Um, he stated that... Uh, to read here oh here we go um, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly who has an internal work of grace upon his soul who has not only an outward name this is, I'm reading this from John Gill's commentary Romans 2 verse 29 but an inward nature not the law of God in his hand but in the heart not an external righteousness only but internal holiness who and who is not a mere outward court worshiper but a worshiper of God in spirit and in truth so this is what this is referring to someone that's a worshiper of God in spirit and truth. The Jews have a saying themselves that whoever denies idolatry is called a Jew. So that according to them, this is the name that is not confirmed to themselves, but it belongs to all such who truly fear and worship God. And they say in the same place that Pharaoh's daughter was called a Jewish because she denied idolatry and went down to wash herself from the idols of her father's house. And elsewhere, that faith, does not depend upon circumcision, but upon the heart. He that believes not as he should, circumcision does not make him a Jew. And he that believes as he ought, he indeed is a Jew, though he is not circumcised. And it's talking about spiritually. Because, again, we have the, the uh, those who are believers have the spirit of Messiah. So we can actually call ourselves spiritually Jews, but we're not physically Jews. I'm not a physical Jew, although uh, the fact that my mom... Uh, or on my mother's side of the family, my great-great-great-grandmother's name was Sarah Cohen. I may have um, um, Cohen blood in me, and on, on I took a DNA test. I have a small strand of Jewish blood way, 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 way back, but I'm not uh, halakhically or according to Jewish law anyway a Jew. But despite that, I have a Jewish Messiah, a Jewish spirit in me, the spirit of Messiah, and so that makes me spiritually a Jew, based on the Bible and based on what I've, I've, I've showed you. And I don't think that's even preached. I don't think, I don't, I don't know if people really think deeply about the fact of what the Bible says about the Messiah and that his spirit is, is, is uh, synonymous with the Holy Spirit and that we're supposed to have his mind and his mind is a Jewish mind. And so spiritually we are Jews in a spiritual way but not in the physical way, uh, as far as Gentiles are concerned, or those who are of the nation. I don't like to say the word Gentile. It means nations, uh, of the nations outside of Israel. That's really the right way to say it. Uh, but you become part of Israel in this age if you accept the Messiah, because he's the king of Israel, so you, you become part of the commonwealth of Israel. That's not a Bible study. But anyway, and so you understand that. Now, so let's go back to Revelation 
or I hope you do anyway, Revelation chapter 3, when it talks about the Jew, it could be talking about physically a Jew or spiritually a Jew. That's the Bible way of understanding this. And so you have people of the synagogue of Satan. The synagogue, the assembly of Satan includes those who are literal Jews and those who are spiritually Jews. And they both lie. <laughs> they both say that they are, but they are not. Okay? Um, but I think the, the best way to understand this is spiritually, because you can be a Jew, according to Jewish law and everything, but you, you, you don't keep... You don't, uh, believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, or you don't keep the commandments. So so spiritually, really, is the way to look at this. All right? Now, the word synagogue, the word, uh, Greek word synagogue uh, that is used here, it means synagogue, right? And it says the congregation, I'm going by the word study uh, dictionary here, it says the congregation of Israel was designated by synagogue, or ecclesia. As the word was used, it did not imply the natural unity of the people, but a community established in a special way for a special object. In the New Testament, Ecclesia, churches is used most often as a name for God's church, or the congregation of the saved. Synagogue is used to designate the fellowship only. And so that's the way this word is used here in Revelation 2, verse 9, and Revelation 3, verse 9. And interestingly, is both used only for the, the Smyrna uh, characteristic and the Philadelphia characteristic, which is pretty interesting. Now, it says where the unbelieving Jews as a body are called the synagogue of Satan. And it says a synagogue was finally designated as the Sabbath assembly of the Jews. In James 2, verse 2, a synagogue is used to designate a worshiping assembly of the Jewish Christians. In other places, it is used as the assembly place of the Jews. So anyway... This context is, is really t stating that this synagogue assembly involved Gentiles who were acting Jewish or around Jewish people and also Jews who were naturally Jews because they grew up as Jews. So that that's what the synagogue is, basically. And unfortunately, there are people that are spiritually Jews and physical Jews that are lying and saying that they are Jews. And, of course... The Bible definition of a Jew is one who is inwardly a Jew, and that's interesting because we are all inwardly Jews if we have the spirit of Messiah in us. I hope you understand that. That's certainly proven through scriptures. Okay, so I hope you understand that. Now, there's another significant scripture here that talks about um, people kneeling down to us. I will make them to come and worship before thee. Now, there's another scripture. I looked this up, and I hope I can still find it here. Um, there we go. Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles, or to the nations. That's what Gentile means, nations. I'm going to write a blog article and perhaps even do a program on explaining what a Gentile is, especially in the Messianics. Uh, assemblies uh, <coughs> in this end time is looked upon Gentile as something that's demeaning or uh, that you're a dog or something. And and uh, we're, we're just going to go into, I'm going to go into further detail about that because Gentile simply means nations, okay? Um, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people, and they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. 
they shall bring their thy sons in their arms, and, they, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And verse 23 of Isaiah 49, And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. And so he's saying that you spiritual Jews, those who have the Spirit of God in you, if you continue on with the path, what's going to happen? I did a program earlier, because I'm covering the whole book of Revelation, that you will be kings and priests. Well, he's saying those who are faking like they're Jews, spiritually Jews, they will have to bow down to you because you will be a king priest along with your Messiah. That's what that's saying, ladies and gentlemen. All right? So that's the Bible interpretation of understanding through the synagogue. Let me go over again. Synagogue of Hasatan and Satan are those who ultimately are Jews spiritually. That means physical Jews or of the nations who accepted Messiah and the spirit of Messiah, which is a Jewish spirit, is in you. That's what it's talking about. Those who, um, through their works, are showing that they don't have or they have quenched the spirit of Messiah because uh, you can do that, ladies and gentlemen. It's possible for you to, let me turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right here. Quench not the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. If you read that in the Amplified Version, it states, and this is beautiful, um, do not quench, suppress, or subdue the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Messiah. And it's possible to do that, ladies and gentlemen. And those who are the synagogue of Hasatan are those who have quenched the Holy Spirit because how do you gain the Holy Spirit? Let's turn to um, Acts chapter 5, verse 32. Acts chapter 5, verse 32. Acts 5, verse 32. It says, And we are witnesses of these things, and the Holy Spirit is also whom God has bestowed on those who obey him. So if you don't obey the uh, God, you won't receive the Holy Spirit. Stephen understood this. That's the reason why he was glowing as the sun. I mean, well, not as the sun, but as an angel. <laughs> uh, he had so much Holy Spirit that he, he was just, his face shone, shone as an angel. That's what the Bible said, it shine as an angel. Acts 7, verse 51, he says, You stubborn and stiff-necked people, that's what we are today, modern Israel today, Still heathen and uncircumcised in the heart, that's what we're talking about, and ears, you are always actively resisting the spirit of Messiah, of the Holy Spirit. So when you don't want to obey, when you're stubborn and stiff-necked, you are of the synagogue of Hasatan, and you must repent of that. Because if you don't repent of that, you are of the synagogue of Hasatan, and you don't have the spirit of Messiah, it will be quenched, ladies and gentlemen. And you don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. So you mu you have to obey him. You have to obey him. And getting back to First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five. Verse nineteen. 
says do, in the Amplified Version, do not quench, suppress, or subdue the Holy Spirit. And those are the people that are of, of the synagogue of Hasatan, they quench the Holy Spirit because they don't do anything. They don't do any righteous works. Um, quench. And the Greek means spend, know me, and it means to extinguish, to go out, to go out. And for, for this individual, and I hope he's listening to this program, you need to stop preaching a doctrine of the devil. You need to stop preaching that it's not possible to lose the Holy Spirit. Shaul does not agree with you. And the great God who inspired Shaul or Paul to write this, that Shaul is Paul's Hebrew name, disagrees with you. So why would he warn and say, quench not the Spirit? Why would Yeshua say, don't make sure that no one takes your crown? If it's not possible, stop the foolishness. Stop preaching that. It's, 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 it's not correct doctrine. You have to believe what the Bible says. If not, you are part of the synagogue of Hasatan, according to the scriptures. Because you're not obeying the scriptures. And that's for me or anyone. If we don't continue to obey the word of God, we will quench the spirit quench the spirit of Messiah and we are no longer spiritually Jews that's what a Jew really is spiritually one because you have the spirit of Messiah in you you have the spirit of Messiah in you physically we're not even in the millennium there will in Isaiah chapter 19 reveals this you'll have Egypt you'll have Isaiah you'll have Israel so there will be distinctions but spiritually we'll all be Jews because we'll have the spirit of Messiah in us. I just hope you understand that. I'm breaking this down that even I hope a six-year-old can understand. Okay, so let's go back. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 3. So we understand those are the synagogue of Hasatan. These are people who have quenched or are on their way to quenching the spirit of Messiah, which is the Holy Spirit. Because a, a true Jew really is one that's inwardly, that is circumcised spiritually. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Messiah. And the spirit of Messiah lives in you, according to Galatians 2, verse 20. And the spirit of Messiah is a Jewish spirit. And Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, in Hebrews 13, verse 8. Okay? So, I have explained that. And realize that uh, if you don't let anyone take your crown, as he stated here in Revelation 3, verse 11, Behold, I come quickly, that you have that no man take thy crown, then you will be able to live with the Father for all eternity in the New Jerusalem. On that note, may God bless and keep you. And Yah, which means it's short for God in Hebrew, Y'all willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. And may God always love you, protect you, and have great mercy on you. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. 
But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 